0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's Tuesday, February 21st, and thank you for streaming or downloading another episode of The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today's guest, we've got a great one. Stel Marie Cobb on the show. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois Indiana the Chicago Federation of Labor Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago where to go, what to do, what to eat what to drink and so much more columns from Ben Jarofsky and lots of other great columnists. You want to head on over Chicago ChicagoReader, ChicagoReader.com and you can help this show and yourself by going to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky that's J O R A V is in Victory, S K Y.
1: Hello again, everybody. Bendrewski here. We're calling this Punishing Mendoza Tuesday, and here's why. There's so much stories uh, in the newspaper today that fascinate and interest me. So much to talk about regarding the uh, mayoral election. Got uh, the great Delmarie Cobb uh, uh, online to uh, be our guest today, to talk it through, talk about her brilliant comment. I uh, ran this weekend, which I think should be required reading uh, in public schools throughout the city. But before I do, I, I just have to vent about something. I wouldn't even, th- this was not on my mind when I rolled out of bed at the ungodly early hour of 10 o'clock in the morning, wherever I woke up, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'm, I'm, I got those rock star hours, Uh headline story in the sun times. Mendoza says Lightfoot portrayed cops with COVID. And it's a, a story about uh, Susanna Mendoza, the, um, she is the state controller, uh, and in 2019, let's not forget, she ran against Lori Light for mayor, for of city Chicago, as did Paul Vallis in the 2019, uh, campaign Mendoza did not make it to the runoff, uh, obviously. And she went back to being state controller. She has a brother, uh, who's a sergeant, the Chicago police sergeant, Joaquin Mendoza. Uh, and he got a really bad case of COVID and he kind of, uh, contracted that case before the vaccines, okay? Uh, And uh, he is uh, seriously ill and he uh, has cannot perform his duties uh, and he is seeking. uh, He wants disability payments and he wants his health insurance. Uh, And the city's pension board, a police pension board, which is uh, dominated by appointees of Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot, uh, ruled against him and a, a Cook County Circuit judge upheld that ruling. So right now, Uh, He's out of luck. And, folks, I read this, and I I just, it really got to me, because I'll tell you why. So many levels, but I'll just deal with the mixed message level. This city, under Lori Lightfoot, has been sending out so many mixed messages about COVID since COVID hit us hard, kicked me out of the studio, among other things, and sent me into this virtual existence. and. It's like, on one hand, it's an absolutely serious disease and everybody should get vaccinated. And on the other hand, well, we don't want to have to pay for it. So, Lori Lightfoot was in a battle with the Fraternal Order of Police for the longest time over the issues of whether police should get uh, be required to get vaccines. Remember that fight? We talked about it a lot. On that, In that fight, I was on Lori Lightfoot's side. I was like, Yes, you should get vaccine. You should get vaccinated. You should get the vaccine. You know, you shouldn't be listening to the Joe Rogan show. You shouldn't be listening to MAGA nonsense and Darren Bailey and all the other MAGA nutcases out there who somehow figured they knew more than doctors and science and all that and came up with all reasons why you shouldn't get vaccinated. So on one hand. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is saying every single police officer should get vaccinated to protect himself or herself or their families or their grandmothers. Remember, they always talked about how you're going to get grandma sick. Remember that? So this gentleman, Sergeant Mendoza, gets a serious case of COVID, got it before there were vaccines. And then the the mayor's uh, lawyers are saying, well, we don't know if you got it on the job. So we don't know if we'll give you full disability benefits. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Where do you think he got it? Uh, number one, if, so what if he didn't get it on the job? I mean, I, I don't know if he got it on the job or didn't get it on the job. My guess is he did. Because if I think in terms of how people were sequestering themselves back then, if you're a police officer or a bus driver or a CTA train operator or anybody who had to go to work, a firefighter, anybody who had to go to work because your job required it. You couldn't be like a podcaster and just go to your attic. You had to go to work and engage with the public. Chances are you're going to catch the disease because of your job. You don't know that he didn't get it on the job. But now you're going to be cheap with it. You're going to withhold benefits for it. You tell police, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, because your life will be on the line. Your grandmother's life will be on your line. All your loved one's life will be on the line. Then when the guy gets the the disease and is hit hard by it, you deny him disability? That's cruel. To me, that's cruel. And I can't overlook the fact that Susanna Mendoza ran against Lori Lightfoot and that this is payback. Now, you're going to go, oh, Ben, that's far-fetched. No mayor is that cruel. No mayor would do that. I'm like, well, you haven't lived in Chicago very long if you're going to say that, ladies and gentlemen. Because this could be a cruel, payback city where there's no slight is forgotten. And now they got this ridiculous policy. And I know, oh, well, we're going to save money on this policy. Isn't that funny? They're going to save money on policies with police officers or firefighters or CTA workers who got really sick. But, hey, $1.3 billion for Lincoln Yards developers to gentrify an already gentrifying neighborhood. Got plenty of money for that. So I'll tell you what, man. I, um, I thought I'd seen it all. But to tell police officers you got to get the vaccine or you get seriously ill, and then when one guy gets seriously ill, you tell him, well, we don't know if you got it on the job, so we're going to die. You Disability is not only illogical, it's cruel. All right, I had to get that off my chest. Uh, and I've reached out to Sus- Susanna Mendoza, bring her on the show soon, to talk about it in greater specificity. Uh, with that, I turn things over to the great, the legendary Delmarie Cobb. Welcome back, Delmarie. Thank you and uh, you are on my mind. You're always on my mind. Uh, <laughs> I uh, You wrote a column this weekend. Uh, I just, uh, I took a picture of it. Uh, I've been telling my friends to read the column, not that, you know, uh, it'll change any minds in this city, uh, but it was very apropos, I thought, uh, to where we're at right now uh, with Paul Vallis uh, as a front runner, in, in all likelihood, going to emerge from uh, this uh, first round to make the runoff, and Lord knows what's going to happen once we get into the one-on-one race uh, in this city. Uh, and um, the name, the title you called it, is "Turn the Page." So, why don't you take a moment uh, to tell uh, listeners what you meant by "Turn the Page" and what's your theme? Is in this column. Go ahead, Delmarine.
2: Well, it's just the idea that ever since Harold Washington died and Eugene Sawyer, Mary Eugene Sawyer, lost the special election, we have just made as a Black community. and, And this is the one time I specifically wrote it for the Black community to say we have made multiple bad political choices. I mean, just one right after the other and this is an opportunity to turn the page and get as far away from all these decisions that we have made that have killed our community the black community if you look at what's going on in the black community i mean it's it just brings you to tears to know how this community when Harold Washington died if you consider that the pinnacle of black empowerment and economic empowerment as well as political empowerment and then how far we've fallen in just 35 years in 35 years that's not a long time to look at where we've come from and all the things we've lost 250,000 people have left the city that is a city and the idea that we've left the city and you know six black owned banks no longer in existence. This was the black hair care capital of the world. This was the black publishing capital of the world. You know, this was, we have more black ad agencies probably than any other city other than New York. And when you look at all the things that we have lost in that amount of time, it is just heartbreaking. All the jobs that have left middle-class black wards, like the 6th Ward, the 5th Ward, the 8th Ward, the 7th Ward, the 17th Ward. Those were middle-class Black communities that had city jobs, and the majority of those jobs have left those wards. And to the point that I remember a reporter for the Chicago Reporter wrote a story called The Whitening of the Loop and it was and what it was talking about was all those black workers who no longer had city jobs and so they were no longer coming down to the loop for those jobs and you see it and you see the devastation in the black community and the vacant lots and and you know that that's where families lived that's where people lived that's where kids were outside playing you had you heard the sound of laughter not the sound of bullets. And it's just, it just breaks your heart to see what has happened to the Black community in the city. And it all can be a, a straight line to Richard M. Daly, Rahm Emanuel, and Paul Vallis. And I put Paul Vallis in there because Daly decided. To get his budget director and turn his budget director into a non educator over Chicago public schools. And he embraced small schools, he expanded charter schools, and he created contract schools. And all three of them divert money and starve neighborhood schools. So when you see kids not having access to sports and not having access to music, things that might incentivize a teenager to come to school so he can take part in those things, those activities, and keep good grades in order to do that, all of a sudden, those no longer exist. And that's the sad part about it is that it's just been one cut after the other that has gone on in the city of Chicago. I said the black community has died with a million cuts.
1: Well, when you talk about cuts, uh, in uh, you're, it's a metaphor. So the, uh, as you said, the black community has died by a million cuts is the metaphor you're setting up. But then you go down and itemize policies. So uh, you call them cuts, but essentially you're talking about specific policies. And these are policies, and I've struggled with this, Adele Marie, because I've written about this so much, I've thought about this so much, I've talked about this so much, and I always hesitate. Like, was this policy intended to move Black people out of Chicago, or was that just a consequence of the policy? And then I said to myself, I had a moment of revelation. What difference does it make <laughs> if that is the consequence that nobody did anything about it? You know, and one of the first uh, cuts you talk about uh, is uh, taking over the schools. In 1995, uh, Richard M. Daly was given complete control over the Chicago public schools, and he immediately put Paul Ballas in charge of the public schools. And uh you're absolutely right. <laughs> the changes, that was, the, the seeds were sown in so many ways with the policies uh they enacted. So to the point was it carried on with Arnie Duncan after Paul Vallis, you could argue it accelerated our, under Arnie Duncan, but essentially just like making sure uh, that as population was declining in the black community for various reasons, you close the schools, giving folks even less of a reason to be in the community, giving that community even less of like an economic engine of any kind, like to for spending or people coming to the neighborhood, uh, and then perhaps most important, giving uh, the people who live there no reason to stay. I suppose is what I'm saying about. And this is a policy, a school policy that began in the uh, in the 90s under Daley and just really accelerated into this century. And then people wonder, oh, my goodness. Black population has has declined.
2: Well, all you have to do is look at who, like you said, it was Paul Vallis and then Arnie Duncan. And then we had Ron Huberman. And so you have people who absolutely had no background in education and the educators they kicked them to the curb. I mean, I remember Blondale, Blondine Davis, who uh, was an educator and certainly should have been uh, superintendent of schools. And she said, "Oh, I, I am not sitting here holding these people's hands, and and they're going to be the face of education. They know nothing about education. I'm out of here." And look at what her school is doing in the south suburbs, where she's a superintendent. You know, they just covered it all the kids there in her high school are going to college. And that because she was an educator who cared about the results. It wasn't a business decision. If you remember uh, uh, Paul Vallis, he was all about business. It was all about metrics and meeting certain metrics. And uh, if you didn't, he was gonna hold you back. And it was so funny. I remember uh, my neighbors are a young white couple And years ago we were at a a block club meeting and and I said, I don't know why people don't think that middle-class black people move to middle-class black communities for the same reason that middle-class white people move to communities. Good homes, good housing stock and good schools. That's what they come there for. So if you don't have good schools, why would anybody come? And so I was talking about Bronzeville, where we've had, we had 10 schools closed. We had the highest number of schools closed under Rami Mangle. At the time I said it, the young couple looked at me like I had two heads. (laughs) And there she goes again, you know, ranting. And then fast forward to they had a child. And I never will forget the husband said to me, he says, You know, don't Marie, I remember one day you saying in a block club meeting about why people move to middle class communities because of the schools. Are you saying there's no good schools here? I said, That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> there are no good schools here. And of course, now they send their kids to the sub to schools that they have to pay for in the South Loop. Yeah. But that, uh, you know, but that's that's just an example of how you gut
1: a community. Uh, and, and another uh, one of the cuts uh, in the metaphor uh, that you uh, uh, lay out is the creation. is one that's pretty much forgotten. Uh, and I'm glad you uh, brought it back because it's really significant. Uh, the creation of the HDO, the Hispanic Democratic Organization under uh, uh, R- uh, Richard M. Daly And uh, wow, what a cynical act. Uh, this is just, I mean, the city is just so filled with cynical acts by our elected officials, but this one is, this one's at the top of the charts. Uh, so this organization was created ostensibly, uh, to, um, empower uh, Hispanic politicians and get more Hispanics elected to office. In reality, uh, it was intended, uh, largely to, be a patronage army for Richard M. Daley. And the role it has played uh, is being, the consequences of that role are being seen today in the divisions between the black and the Hispanic community, which are, as, it's as unhealthy and dysfunctional relationship as as any I can think of uh, in the city of Chicago, Adele Marie. I know that um, if Jesus Chuy Garcia somehow or other makes it to the runoff Against Paul Vallis, there's lots of folks in this town who think, oh, I don't know if Jesus Chewy Garcia can uh, win the majority of black votes against Paul Vallis Uh, or the the turnout will be so low and it won't really matter anyway. Uh, And that is to a large degree, I believe, a result of the poisoning of uh, relations between the Black and Hispanic community that goes back to the creation of HDO uh, in the late 90s and your early O's. Uh, why don't you amplify that uh, a
2: bit? That's absolutely the case. Uh, when when Jesus ran, and even when Miguel de Vallier ran ran uh, in 2015, and I mean, 2011, and Jesus in 2015, I supported both of them and of course i was asked by reporters about my support of them because of them being latino and and i said you know i don't buy into this whole black brown chasm because i know it was man made it was made by daily this is on purpose because if you could keep the two largest communities of color at each other's throats then you never have to worry about them and this 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 is a formula that goes back to slavery and so i mean this is not a new formula it's a formula that works keep the people at the bottom fighting each other and then you don't have to worry about the people at the top who are keeping them at the bottom <laughs> you know so that's what this was about and uh unfortunately the poison is so uh deep and has been going on for so long that we saw what happened uh in um 2015 with Chewy. uh, I know Black people hated Rahm Emanuel for closing the 50 schools. That's all you could talk about. That's all anybody was was talking about. I was on the bus and people on the bus didn't even know each other. And they're talking the whole bus way. Everybody on the bus talking out loud about Rahm Emanuel closing the schools. And then magically, it wasn't an issue anymore. As we got closer to the election. And why? You know, the, it was because one was Latino, and most people did not know his relationship with the Black community. And then two, you had a former Black president who told you to, you know, that Rahm Emanuel was just hard headed, give him a second chance.
1: Yeah, I uh, I'm split on it. By the way, as to which had the greatest impact uh, in the black vote in 2015, going for Rom, uh, Barack Obama's endorsement of Rom, which he did in commercials, uh, and then this uh, this rivalry that, uh, as you say, is daily made between uh, Hispanic uh, and Black Chicago. Uh, Karen oh. Lewis, Miss she Rest in Peace, when she came on our show uh, right after that election, at the top of the list, she put uh, the antipathy toward. Uh, Hispanic people that divide that you talked about, but right behind it <laughs> you can argue right behind it is Barack Obama and I'm not I think more and more as I think about it I put the Barack Obama endorsement uh, I don't know, did you, whatever, what difference does it make which is first <laughs> or which is second, but uh, uh, yeah. Well uh, the it,
2: reason it makes a difference is because it goes back to what becomes a recurring theme with me and that is this whole relational transactional thing it's a it's a recurring theme because it never goes away you can point to it so many times and and so that's why it's important because once again you know I say if somebody is beating you and your friends say but you know you know your husband loves you he bought you a house (laughs) or you don't have to go to work but he's beating me (laughs) well you know forgive him and that's the way i feel i just can't help that may be a terrible analogy but that's the way i feel i just feel like the black community has been beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and then somebody tells you yeah but you know he's okay he's my friend give him a second chance
1: (laughs) but you know when i'm listening to you uh i it the inconsistency hit me because one of the things that Jesus Garcia did in 2015 was he said uh, I was there with Harold Washington, which is absolutely true. I was there with Harold Washington back in 1986 in Council Wars, and I when I won my special election, that it gave Harold control of the city council, uh, enabled him to defeat Burke and Berdoliat, and so many black voters were like, "Oh, don't tell." Me. Don't tell me you were with Harold. That was in 1986. I don't care. I want to know what you've been doing now. And then, meanwhile, here comes Barack Obama and he says, I like Rom. He's, yeah, he's a little hard headed, but, you know, he means well. And all of a sudden that mattered. Do you follow what I'm saying? The relationship between Jesus Garcia and Harold Washington didn't matter all of a sudden. But the relationship between Barack Obama uh, and Rahm Emanuel did matter. Total
2: inconsistency. Um, uh, I see it all the time. Believe <laughs> me.
1: So that's why I think Karen Lewis, now I, we look back, and put the antipathy between uh, e- e, uh, blacks and Hispanics at the top of the list. Uh, anyway thank you for uh, re- that history lesson uh because that was really a cynical act by the daily administration to use, uh, h create hdo and then use it that way and then another point you made before we move on from your essay uh the tiff program and god bless you for mentioning the tiff program uh and uh but it's absolutely uh been an agent uh for wide uh across the board uh, neighborhood changes the money was intended to eradicate blight in the poorest, most blighted communities, and it was used as a slush fund by Daly. Uh, it was created when Vallis was Daly's um, budget director, so he was right there at the creation of it. It was used as a slush fund uh, by Daly to take care of his cronies uh, and to seed the development of favored neighborhoods, uh, and it just caused property taxes to rise throughout the city, and that. Uh, the, if nothing gentrifies a neighborhood or moves poor people out of a neighborhood, uh, Dummery, quite like rising property taxes as we're seeing happening uh, right now at Pilsen. And um, that's.
2: Always oh, I- one of the reasons why I was a big, uh, I was vo- very vocal against the Olympics coming to Chicago. I mean, I live right here at 35th and King Drive. Uh, The Olympic Village was going to be four blocks from my house, and I knew what was going to happen. I knew that there were not going to be any more Black people over here (laughs) if that had happened, Um, especially on this block. And and most of the people, I've been on the block 50 years myself, and most of the people on this block have been here forever. They're mostly retired, so they're on fixed income. So what would that have meant?
1: That would have meant they were gone.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: Uh, and that was another cynical act. I remember uh, I remember Barack Obama endorsing that the Olympics and saying, Hey, I, I'm gonna benefit by it. I'm gonna run out my home in uh, Hyde Park. What a cynical
2: act. And the city is so well, cynical. It was so to just digress for a moment. So I had somebody black call me to ask me what I work with them to do rallies around the city to show support in the Black community for the Olympics. And it was a big contract. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And um, I found out later from somebody else who knew about it, they said, the person who had been contracted said they don't know another person who would have turned that down. I said, yes, other than the crazy Del Delmarie. <laughs> <laughs> No. Who's up here? Crazy as I can be, turning some business down all the time. But I just cannot, as I always say, not all money is good money. Yeah.
1: Wow, that, and I know that was real money because they were throwing so much money at people. Uh, back in the, and there was uh there was a relative handful of people in the city of Chicago who stood up to it. Delmarie was one. Pat Hill, may she rest in peace, was another right. one. Uh, I I remember pretty much every single ally we I had in that fight.
2: But can you imagine uh, that they wanted to do rallies in black communities to to show manufacture these rallies to yeah. to pretend that the black community was completely behind it?
1: Yeah, no, I, I listen. I mean, that I don't even think that's more c- cynical than what Rom did in two thousand and twelve <laughs> or thirteen where he had the protesters saying, "Please close our schools." <laughs> I and it know. turns out they were paying off homeless people to show up with signs.
2: Bus loads. Uh, and, and Barack
1: Obama said, oh, don't worry. He's a little hard-headed. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. So we're on the threshold of a Paul Vallis triumph in round one. All the polls say that he will win. He has consolidated the mag. Well, he already had the MAGA vote. That's 15% right off the bat. <laughs> and now it turns out that folks on the north side love him too. And the Gold Coast, they just love him. Uh, they're swooning for Paul Vallis. Uh, so, uh, he'll, um, uh, he'll make the runoff. It looks like, and he'll be formidable for anybody to beat, uh, in, uh, the one-on-one race. Cause you're going to have so much money from corporate Chicago by then. Uh, I call him, I did a column. I call him the great white hope. Uh, turns out you almost wrote a column called the great white hope. Yeah. Uh, so it just means great minds think alike. <laughs> and, uh, so why don't you elaborate on what you mean? Uh, w- when you say that Paul Ballas is the great white hope?
2: Well, it just amazes me when I look at how suddenly he's become um, un- unbeatable at this point in terms of, you know, he's on a roll and he's rolling right through February 28th. And yet, you know, in 2002, he ran for governor and lost. He ran for Lieutenant Governor with an incumbent governor, uh, Quinn in 2014 and lost. Last time in the mayor's race, he came in fourth in 2019. And now he's running again. He's never had an elected office. He was appointed superintendent of CPS. Um, He did not do a good job. Richard uh, M. Daley kicked him to the curb and only a white man can fail and be considered a national education expert. <laughs> and so I just find it incredible that suddenly it's like we just discovered Paul Vallis. And yet it, it reminds me of Roland Burris and how when he ran, the media made him into a buffoon and into a political hack. And the reason why I I mentioned that is because Roland actually had won four statewide races and was the state's highest vote getter in an all Republican administration. He was the only Democrat. Yet suddenly when he starts losing, he's a political hack and a buffoon. And so the double standard to me is just unbelievable that one can fail and be a national education expert and the other failed after actually having been an expert, but he's a buffoon. And so the great white hope is we will prop you up. We will make sure you stand erect because we, if we have to carry you, we're going to get you across the finish line.
1: <laughs> Do you, uh, uh, I can't let the Roland Burris thing pass for a moment. Let's uh, deal with that. Roland Burris, uh, for some of you younger listeners, was a very successful politician in the state of Illinois uh, in the 80s. and the 90s, he won statewide. Uh, he was controller. He was attorney general. Uh, and he had ambitions for higher office. Uh, he ran for mayor. I don't know if you remember this, oh, uh, Delmarie. Uh, he ran for mayor. He was uh, in the 90s against Daley. Uh, he ran for... Uh, Governor, at least twice that I can think of, uh, and he was unsuccessful. Uh, and it's very odd uh, the way uh, mainstream Chicago and corporate Chicago behaves toward black politicians. Uh, Del Marie, at some point, they turn on him. Mm-hmm. And Roland Burris was like the guy that they supported early on. Do you follow well, me? I mean, loved him. Yeah, and until and he it's wanted someone...
2: higher office,
1: what's that? It's... Until it's... he wanted
2: higher office. Yeah,
1: why don't you go into that a little bit? Because I mean, I... this is kind of one of those unspoken, very rarely discussed um, realities of life. I think, uh, and uh, the the challenge of being. A black politician in the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago, and when you leave "quote unquote" the black community, and you are reaching out for like white votes, go statewide. The way you're viewed, uh and the hostility is embedded sometimes uh, in that view. Why don't you just go on a riff about that?
2: Well, it's not it, what it is. Is as long as you stay where we say you can go. (laughs) You know, we said you could become trollery. You managed to do that. Um, You managed to become attorney general. At the time, a Black person being a governor of Illinois is still unimaginable. Just because Barack Obama became president does not mean that it's going to happen and that everything has changed, uh, even though we wish it, We would like to believe that, that's not the truth. But I can give you other examples Uh, for for many of your listeners who probably don't know Cecil Partee. And and I used to talk to these guys uh, a lot. So we had nothing in common, but they were a wealth of information. And so I would call them up and have lunch or just talk on the phone, go for hours talking. And I never will forget, I think he wanted to be I'm trying to think what was the position did he was he so the last position he had was um
1: state's attorney
2: state state's attorney. so he wanted to be I believe treasurer is what he wanted to believe to be, if I remember correctly.
1: Treasurer of the state of Illinois, and treasurer of the city of Chicago. I believe he was uh, treasurer. Man, now I'm going back in his He's uh, 20th Ward Democratic Committee, man, state senator. I think he was president he, of the Senate for a him? while. Uh, exactly. Yeah, he uh, was, I, I the was the powerhouse.
2: What was the one position he won? It was the last position he won. I think he anyway. was
1: city treasurer, but go yes. ahead. Yes,
2: and they told him he couldn't have it. The the, par- the powers that be told him no. And he, because of all the things you just said that he had done, he was like well what do you mean i can't do that and um and so and then the rumors were for years that he had helped richard m daly pass his law his, the bar exam <laughs> <laughs> so the rumor was that he was indebted that richard m daly was indebted to him because he had pa- tried it pass it two or three times and it failed and that uh cecil Barti had been helpful in helping him pass it that was the rumor i don't know if it's true or not but that's Good what job. i heard yeah, well, but i heard that one a lot by right
1: way. i already so, literally yeah. took the test for him so, so anyway
2: I... so anyway this is what he wanted and once yeah. again like roland who was told not to take the senate seat the u.s senate seat that barack obama had vacated he was like well i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it anyway And lo and behold, we find out he has a 21 year old out of wedlock daughter. Lo and behold, (laughs) not a 21 month old, a 21 year old. So that means somebody has been sitting on that information a long time. Mm. But as long as you were in your place, there was no reason for us to bring it out. But now you uppity. You're gonna do what you want to do. Well, we're gonna show you you're not as uppity as you think.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: So read, that's what uh, we go through on a regular basis. That nobody understands all the nuances that are going on behind the scenes that are whoop that are that are dog whistles to us because we live it every day.
1: Uh so. Your thoughts, Paul Vallis. Uh, I guess you agree uh, that he will be in the, the runoff. You, uh, I have been saying for so long, oh, uh, there's no way the city of Chicago is going to uh, elect uh, Paul Vallis as a MAGA man. He's been running as a MAGA man for the last year, according to the Fraternal Order Police, going out to Naperville for uh, Awake, Illinois, going on the Genie Ives show. Uh, Jeannie Ives, one of the most right-wing anti-abortion zealots in the state of Illinois. And uh, he's literally courting the MAGA vote. There's no way a MAGA man will win uh, as mayor of the city of Chicago. This is an anti-Trump town. And now I'm starting to have second thoughts about this, Delmarie. Uh, I'm really having second thoughts about whether he can win. Go, I think he... It, I think he can win. Uh, your thoughts?
2: No, I mean, well, it's not an anti-Trump town. It goes back to what you said. Your column was the Great White Hope. I mean, Bernie Epton almost won. It's 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 when the real when the covers are taken off (laughs) i mean there are times when we all go along and we get along and we think this is a very progressive city and all the and state and all those things and then suddenly something happens that takes the covers off and uh and we realize "Whoa, whoa wait a minute this is all like right under the surface and which is why all these policies have been allowed to exist for so long that, has de- that, that that has gutted the black community is because right under the surface is is people show their true colors. And that's why Ballas now is the great white hope. Um, he has an opportunity to win. And you know, this has been a city of closeted Republicans, as far as I'm concerned. Almost every mayor we've had since Eugene Sawyer and Harold Washington has been a closeted Republican to one degree or another. And so um, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. And when you look at this other pack, uh, this get stuff done pack, I mean, come on. (laughs) I mean, that's another example of, they, they claim they're going after the socialists. They're not going after the socialists, they're going after the progressives. They don't want a progressive city. They don't want progressive policies. And what people need to understand is when they talk about Brandon Johnson getting money from the unions. Well, Paul Vallis is getting money from rich white Republicans, Sam Zell, Ron Gidwitz, Jennifer Pritzker, they've all given him money. And so where are the black Sam Zells? Where are the black Ron Gidwitz? Where are the black Jennifer Pritzkers? The unions are the closest thing we got. So in order to be competitive, we almost have to go with the unions. Otherwise we wouldn't even be competitive. The days of a Harold Washington and black businesses, again, going back to what we said from the beginning, those days are gone. In this environment we're in right now, I don't know that Harold could win. That's how far removed we are from having black businesses that were self-sustaining because their customers were black. They didn't have to ask permission. And they didn't have to worry about globalization and 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 the pushback. So everything, the whole environment has changed. And I really don't know that a Harold could win in today's environment in Chicago
1: well could harold win uh here's the, the reality about when harold did win and which is why it uh, leads uh, it leads up to your question harold won in 1983 uh and then was reelected in 87 by virtue of roughly 99% black support 99% okay he eked out a victory over Bernie Epton because almost every black person in the city of Chicago who voted voted for Harold. <laughs> then they they brought in a handful of white people who acted like they acted like they were crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge to vote for Harold. They wanted like a pat in the back. <laughs> well, I've, I looked at the records and I I'm grudgingly voting for Harold Washington, but I'm very <laughs> concerned about his taxes. I remember the Tribune Editorial endorsing Harold. They were so full of themselves. To- <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he won because he got rock solid black vote and he got Hispanic vote. This is before HDO uh, and um, the dailies poison the well.
2: And it All was right. 88% turnout.
1: Yeah. 88%. So in this day and age, the difference is this 250,000. Is that what you said? Black yes. like people moved out of the city of Chicago. That's 2, so 99% of whatever's left over is not as many votes. Uh, I'm not a math genius Del Marie, but I do know <laughs> that. Okay. Hey, I took algebra at Evanston high school. So <laughs> I think that, uh, the decline in the, uh, Black uh, population in the city of Chicago has had a collateral benefit, if you will, for uh, people of the non-progressive persuasion, uh, because it means that uh, there are fewer voters to possibly vote for progressives and for progressive legislation. And so, yes, to your point, it would be difficult for Harold Washington to win in this current climate, because there's fewer Black voters to turn out for him. So he would be relying on white people.
2: And that's the other cut that we talked about was the fact that they got rid of CHA uh, developments. Uh, And yes, not that they shouldn't have gotten rid of them, but the whole point of the plan for transformation was to create mixed income communities. One third market rate, one third affordable, and one third low income. Everybody living together like neighborhoods are supposed to be like neighborhoods used to be. And so um, what has happened? I can just look at the Ida B. Wells projects. That's a block from where I live. 20 years later, still making lots on a major thoroughfare, on a major thoroughfare like King Drive.
1: Uh, yeah, I would just add one word to what you said. The whole uh, uh, point of the plan formation uh, was a mixed community. I would say the whole ostensible point or the stated point, <laughs> as opposed to the real point, <laughs> right, which, which is, so is move hard. them out. <laughs> <laughs> that was the real point. Right. Uh, all right. Let's move a uh, shift from uh, Paul Vallis to Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot running for re-election. Uh, I, I, the polls show that she is not by any means a shoe in to make the runoff uh, against Paul Vallis. And so I think it was over this weekend. Uh, she had an appearance with uh, Congressman Bobby Rush, which is, this whole thing is so ironic and twisted, uh, it, where she said essentially uh, that uh, black voters, uh, if they're not going to vote for her, just don't vote at all. And that how important she is to the black community, the city of Chicago, uh, and this is, she's trying to show, this is like a repeat of 89. Uh, and um, when um, uh, Daly was in a, was able to take advantage of a split between Evans and Sawyer uh, and be elected mayor, I have many, many feelings about what Lori Lightfoot did over the weekend, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. Take it away, Del Marie.
2: <laughs> well, first of all, I do think that she clumsily. Um, stated what she probably was trying to say. I can't imagine um, that she was saying, really stay home. Um, I mean, I just find that hard to believe that she was telling people to stay home at a get-out-the-vote rally. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a good point. <laughs> oh lord yeah
2: (laughs) but the other part is is just this evolution i mean i i always just love it when people who traditionally have no history in being you know black power suddenly become steeped in black power um and i you know have been knowing of lori since 2002 um, she was not new to me on the scene and, um, I've never known Lori to be black power. So I always love it when I see this evolution in black people, because I just think it always happens. Usually when we're in trouble, is <laughs> usually when it happens, uh, because we know going back to relationships versus transactions, <laughs> We know Black people will encircle the wagons and protect one of their own when they feel threatened. Uh, I've seen it time and time again. I feel like we're played like a piano because it is so much a part of who we are that we cannot like you. <laughs> we cannot like anything about you. But if we see somebody beating you, and again, we've heard it, we've seen it so many times. We know it when we see it, nobody has to explain it to us. All of a sudden, you are our best friend. <laughs> we're gonna come there and we're gonna swoop down and we're gonna protect you. And that's what I think this is that we're seeing is Lori knows that her best chance is with the black community. And when she got in, it you know when she made the runoff we were not the reason she made the runoff. We were not her base. Black people didn't know who she was. I mean, I kept hearing that over and over. She's 50 years old. How am I, Why is it I'm just hearing of her? <laughs> I kept hearing people at the grocery store saying that. She's 55 years old. I'm just hearing of her. <laughs> Where's she been? <laughs> oh, so, there you go. Yeah. So I just, you know, it's just very interesting. I've seen it a million times and um, and I just always think it's interesting whenever I see it.
1: Yeah, uh, that was well done. Uh, do you think it'll work? I mean, uh, we've had many conversations uh, on this show and shout out Mark Sims. Uh, he's sort of the leader uh, in advocating uh The notion that there's uh, something going on, to put it mildly and euphemistically, when you have seven black people running for mayor, one white person and one uh, Hispanic person. Okay? Uh, And Mark Sims can articulate his views on this a lot better than I can. Uh, But uh, do you think it'll work? Do you think she will uh, successfully rally uh, support in the black wards uh, to enable her to make Uh, the runoff because of this appeal?
2: Well, I do hear Black people say that, you know, I did not support her when she ran the first time, but I do think she deserves a second chance. So I'm hearing that from a lot of people. So I don't know. I mean, that is her best chance because the people who got her here uh, have turned against her.
1: Well that's uh, by by the way. I would say that is uh, a semi valid point. And I say semi because of this. Delmarie, you know, uh <laughs> I've never voted for an incumbent mayor since 1987. Just think, <laughs> think about that for a moment, okay? <laughs> well, I guess you I voted for Eugene Sawyer, but I don't really he was never to like. I I think he always had the entitled interim mayor, I, I, be that, whatever. I've never yeah. voted for an incumbent mayor who's me elected. Uh, no
2: acting mayor?
1: Acting mayor, oh. uh, yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that Chicagoans would say to me and to rebut when I would explain that I'm not voting for Daley in 1991, in 95, in 99, in 03, in 07, uh and when I didn't vote for Ron at 15, one of the things they said to me was, it's a really hard job. I've Nobody else would want it, really. I can't believe he wants it, in this case she. So they've given it the best they've got. They deserve another chance. I've heard that so many times. So, uh, listen, if it's good of an excuse to vote for Daily <laughs> with all his corruption, Okay. If it was a good excuse to vote for Rom, who knew nothing about the city of Chicago and had utter contempt for the people who lived in the city of Chicago, Okay, <laughs> it was only saved by virtue of Barack Obama pleading with people to vote for him. I guess it's good for Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Can't um, say it's going to motivate me to vote for Lori Lightfoot, but I guess it's good. But
2: you understand the logic.
1: <laughs> the illogic. Wait, I understand the logic of illogical Chicagoans. Yes. <laughs> it's a tough job, Ben. Yeah, he's doing a terrible job at it, but it's a tough job. I'm gonna vote for him again. And I don't want Chicago to be like Detroit.
2: What? What? And and add to it that um COVID 19.
1: Well, I just started the show with the rant. <laughs>
2: Right. So. About
1: the mixed messages that Lori Lightfoot has continually shutting down the lakefront. I'm like, it, having like this hissy fit about the lakefront. Don't get me started, Del Marie. <laughs> Shut down the lakefront. Then it came obvious that the chances you getting COVID being outdoors was a lot. Not high. Maybe it's not a good idea to keep people all locked up and bottled in. Maybe you should reopen the lake. Nope. I'm the mayor. <laughs> it's like something straight out of daily and ROM. I'm the mayor. I get to do things. So, but yeah, she had to deal with COVID. I'm not saying she did a bang up job of it, but so I can understand the logic uh, of a Chicago voter, uh, particularly a black voter who would like, hey, you didn't hold. You gave Rob a second chance. Exactly. You gave Daley a yeah. second
2: chance. Second, third, fourth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't be giving him more chances. Daily with Mayor is like Daily taking that LSAT or whatever that was, the law <laughs> bar, the bar exam. Give him another chance. <laughs> hey, Cecil, can you help him out a little bit? <laughs> I, by the way, I'd never believe that Cecil Parti I know I heard the same rumor. I, you and I are roughly the same age, Don Marie. <laughs> I've heard the same rumors you have. and. So, uh, do you have a prediction?
2: No, uh, I don't. No, I'm. I. It's going to be. Yes. I mean, all I can say at this point is that we know it's going to be ballots, right?
1: Well, that's. And yeah. we don't
2: know who the other person is going to be. Wow. And uh, and so who the other person will be is going to be the deciding factor in terms of um, if if we have a progressive city, if we finally. Um, I remember when uh, Daily, when Daily stepped down and Rahm Emanuel was running, I was on BON um, as a guest. And I said, you know, we have an opportunity to be free. We have been oppressed for so long that we don't know what freedom looks like. And someone just opened the gates and said, you're free. Run. <laughs> Run. And we decided, no, we don't want to run. (laughs) We like where we are. (laughs) So that's what we did. We just got another person. (laughs) And Uh, so it looks, and that's why I did the column, turn the page, because these are the people who have gotten this city in this mess. Turn the page, even in the white community. If you're worried about violence, the violence didn't just happen because Lori became mayor. The violence happened because of all the things we just talked about that created the situation. And there are no walls. Black people are not walled in on the west side and the south side and for in your arrogance and your whiteness for you to think it would never spill over, that you would never become the victim of the same things we're the victim of. How did you think that? And so now that it has happened, oh, woe is me. We can't stand this. We've got to make a change. Something's got to give. Well, 30 years ago, something needed to give. 30 years ago, you needed to look out for everybody who was not doing well, making sure that these communities were thriving and sustaining. That's what needed to be done. Then you wouldn't be worried about this today, carjackings and stick ups. All of those things that you're worried about, you wouldn't be worried about if people had jobs and good schools and thriving communities. So, you know, I just say, throw them out. (laughs) Do not go back to the same old thing that hasn't worked, hoping that it will work this time because it's not working. And all you have to do is leave your, the comfort of your community and come over here to the black community and take a tour and let me know if it's working for everybody in the city of Chicago, because the city that works is supposed to work for everybody.
1: I can't top that. And I think we're just gonna close it on that uh note and uh delmarie i'm i'm going to be calling on you uh in this through the month of march <laughs> to help me get through this uh i feel we're heading into um bernie epton too uh before it's too late country when paul Vallis's campaign he's going to be a little slicker about it than bernie he's going to do something like he's doing, uh, with the transphobic issue. Like he'll show up at, uh, at a transphobic uh, fundraiser for a wake Illinois. And then when he's called on, I go, Oh, I didn't know. Oh my God. Or Uh,
2: asked to say lifelong Democrat now.
1: Yeah. Oh, lifelong Democrat. Except when I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me. Oh my God. I'll close with a little humor, attempted humor. He's a lifelong Democrat. It reminds me, uh, was coaching for years and years and uh, one of the kids on my team I said hey hey Houston uh, how'd you do on your report card he goes I got straight A's coach well except for in uh, English and in social studies and out he got one A (laughs) I'm like well okay so that's like (laughs) Paul Ballas lifelong Republican except for the time when he wasn't okay (laughs) What a city, Chicago. You're getting ready to elect another daily. <laughs> oh my God. I tell you what, Del Marie, they love daily in this town. So God, they just dusted them off and called them ballas. And uh, <laughs> sounds good to me. Uh so I am definitely gonna be calling on you to help me uh get through this uh month of March. All right, uh, Delmarie? Del Marie.
2: You and me both will be our
1: support. <laughs> <system>. <laughs> Trying to get through it, living through it again, man. Eighty three was so much fun. Let's do it again in uh, two thousand and twenty three. All right, that's the great Del Marie, political strategist, writer, columnist. She does it all. I urge everybody, Del Marie, how can folks get a uh, on your subscription list? Because your newsletter is really good stuff. Uh, if you like what you you hear her say on the show. Uh, and, you know, she's quoted all the time now in the mainstream papers uh, by, I don't know, suddenly they woke up and go, hey, let's start quoting Delmarie. Um, but if you want, like, the full Delmarie, uh, just speaking from your heart, how do people get a hold? How can they subscribe to your newsletter?
2: Well, they go to my pack, actually, the it's easier. So if they go to the pack, uh, com. There's a place on the, fa- on the page at the bottom where you can subscribe. And if you subscribe to that, you subscribe to my other column as well. Cause I mingled the, uh, the lists all the time just to make sure I had everybody's uh, name. So that's the best way to do it.
1: Well, I urge everybody to do it because it's good stuff. And, um, you know, I don't say that just cause I agree with her. <laughs> Although maybe that's part of the reason why I say it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Del Marie. All right. Thank you. All right. That's great, Del Marie Cobb. I also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
0: And don't forget, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at Chicagoreader.com. Hey, and you could also find Ben all over the internet on all your favorite streaming platforms.
1: find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader
3: support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant